Welcome to a special Black Friday Cyber Monday Planning for Peak e-commerce edition of The Voice of Retail. I'm your host, Michael Blanc. This podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Retail Council of Canada. First up in this special edition, we set the stage with an exclusive interview with a supply chain veteran on the front lines of delivering on the promised Black Friday, SCI President and CEO Chris Galindo. Chris provides us with an incredible insight into the logistics of e-commerce from a warehouse and distribution perspective, trends from the front lines, and advice on how to deal with Black Friday. Next, recorded live in Toronto at the SCI Power Shift to Consumerism Summit, we're recording my panel interviews with retailers and thought leaders in the e-commerce retail space. After an introduction by Dave Mack, VP Marketing from SCI, himself an experienced e-commerce retailer, veterans of many Black Friday Cyber Mondays, Franco Scavone, Senior Director, e-commerce and customer service with Designer Brands Canada, Stephanie Barrington, VP Marketing, Wall.ca, and Jerry Lamb, Director of Strategic Accounts and Product Development with SCI, take us through their thinking around Black Friday, handling peaks, and what it takes to win November 29th. But first, let's listen to my interview with Chris from SCI. Chris, welcome to The Voice of Retail. How are you today? Very good. Thanks for having me, Michael. Well, it's great to be here. Why don't we jumpstart, kick off with a little bit about yourself, your own personal journey and uh, what you do here at SCI and, and a little bit about the organization. Okay. Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, logistics definitely wasn't where I started, uh, at least thought I would end up. I, I started uh, way back when and did uh, a degree in engineering. I'm a master, a mechanical engineer by trade. Uh, finished that degree and uh, went into the work world and got my first job at uh, DeFasco in Hamilton. Hmm. Thought that'd be a great spot, you know, steel uh, steel mill. I came from Hamilton, so I'm a Hamilton boy. I started there, uh, got into DeFasco and, and started the job and, and realized that, uh, you know, one, uh, um, steel plants are, are noisy, dirty, uh, and not very well lit. And mm. my, my position ended up being in a place called the Foundry, which was probably the extreme of all those things at DeFasco. So... My first job was to go into the foundry and inspect a, a vertical lift table and figure out how to re-engineer it because it kept breaking. So I was sitting in a pit, dark, dirty, for days trying to figure this out and kind of quickly realized that uh, this wasn't for me. <laughs> so uh, I decided to uh, you know, go back to school and uh, went back uh, to do my MBA program again at McMaster. Uh, they had a co-op program at the time and yeah. it was uh, a great opportunity to, I thought, to develop some business skills and also to get out and experience some companies. So over the next bunch of years, um, worked for four different organizations through that. Um, I worked at uh, Nortel, uh, Navistar, uh, Alcan, and mm. uh, Rubbermaid, so mm. some, some good companies at the time. And as much as I was there to look at it from a business perspective, um, I ended up somehow being exposed to logistics. Uh, in Nortel and Navistar, I was you know had spent some of my time in their plants. and. At Alcan, I spent some time in the warehouse along with Rubbermaid. So I kind of started to get a sense of what logistics was back then, a fairly new new topic at the time. Um, so when it came time to uh, to you know take a job after completing my degree, I had offers from several big Fortune 500 companies and this you know small privately owned Canadian 3PL and. Some might say the path of going through these big companies might have been the right thing, but for some reason for me it was choose the small Canadian 3PL, and it was, I think, the attraction to, uh, to follow this logistics game and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and the things that I saw possible of, you know, as a 3PL being able to work for multiple companies at the same time and make a real difference. So uh, that's where I started. Uh, started at the bottom, worked my way up, and after about five years at a company called AMG Logistics, I was running the company. Mm-hmm. Um, at uh, in my early 30s, um, and was able to do that for about six or seven years. 
And that kind of took us into the mid 2000s where, you know, there was a lot of consolidation going on in the industry and it just felt like the right time for us to uh, be part of that. And um, so I went to the owners and on their behalf, I sold the business uh, for them um, and ultimately became uh, a member of SCI at the time. Hmm. Um, And from there, started at SCI running all of SCI's operations. Uh, At one point, I led sales and marketing, solutions and engineering, implementation. So kind of really got a, a, a good breadth of uh, experience here at SCI before I was given the opportunity in 2016 to, to lead the company. Uh, so over the last four years, I've been doing that. Um, took over a company that was uh, at the time growing, um, but over the last three or four years, we've recorded record growth years, which mm. uh, you know really proud about. Let's, uh, um, let's talk about, um, let's unpack what 3PL is, just sure. for the listeners at home who may not be as familiar. Just give us a, a bit of 411 on, on what that means. Well, 3PL stands for third-party logistics. I mean, various forms of, of definitions, but, you know, it started with kind of outsourcing your warehousing or outsourcing some of your transportation. And I think as the years have gone on, it's really become something where it's outsourcing your supply chain mm-hmm. uh, functions. and. And that's everything from fulfillment to reverse logistics, transportation, value-added services, and, and even more. So uh, that's really what it is today. And, and when you look at uh, SCI, I mean, that's one of the things we offer to the Canadian market is we think we offer a full suite of those services to uh, Canadian companies. So I guess it's one of those choices that retailers can make as they think about their supply chains and direct a customer even to each other, business to business, is whether they build themselves a warehouse, staff it, run it, or they look for expert professionals outside who do that for a living. And that's a choice you can make for, you know, whether it's scalability or size or scope or yeah. expertise, right? No, it's an excellent question. And I think there's a couple answers to that. One of the things we're really proud of here at SCI is that um, in the retail space specifically, we've helped many companies over the last bunch of years kind of enter into the Canadian marketplace. Mm-hmm. So for me, it started way back when with a company, Fido, which you know is now part of Rogers, but right, it was right. one of the mobility brands. When they launched in Canada, uh, we got them off the ground from a, from a, from a logistics perspective. Uh, companies like Amazon, when mm-hmm. they first entered the Canadian market, uh, they came to SCI and we mm-hmm. were their partner. So we launched them uh, for, for uh, 10 plus years. We're their, their sole provider here in Canada until they insourced. So that's a way for, for retailers and businesses to get out fast, quickly, mm-hmm. relatively mm-hmm. quickly, right? And then kind of potentially gauge the market or just, you know, phase in what they have, a mix, or go one way or the other entirely. Yeah, we've seen them go both ways. I mean, uh, Amazon obviously has chosen, as it does across, you know, all of their markets mm-hmm. to, to do a lot of insourcing. Um, but, you know, we also did uh, Lowe's. Uh, we onboarded them as they came into the Canadian market. Right. Uh, Walmart, uh, when they mm-hmm. launched their e-commerce platform in Canada, they started with SCI. So, um, what we're seeing today is uh, we also do that for a lot of, uh, we'll say, smaller to mid-sized retailers, which there are many in, in the Canadian mm-hmm. marketplace. And for them, that choice, that you, the question you asked earlier about in-source or outsource is, is, is a really important one for them to consider um, because the complexities of, of supply chain are growing every day. Uh, the demands of the, the B2C and, 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 and uh, having you know, things customized to, to customers' needs uh, the peaks and valleys of what we face, mm-hmm. uh, those mid-sized customers really are going to have a hard time uh, excelling at, at supply chain when they're just a, a few people. So, uh, you know, in, the, in their cases, outsourcing to organizations that bring 
experience and skill and talent and scalability and all those things to the table, I think, is, is an important decision for retailers to think about. Well, it's a good segue into my next question, which is, you know, you meet with a lot of uh, C-level executives across retail, across industry. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the very popular questions we all get asked, or what I get asked is, you know, what are you hearing? And I guess I'd ask you that question as, as retailers read the headlines and experience it firsthand mm-hmm. with other competitive retailers talking about two-day delivery anywhere and one-day delivery and all these, you know, things that really tax your supply chain and your warehouse. And, you know, what, what's top of mind when when you have the discussions around uh, supply chain and, and 3PL or, or, you know, insourced or whatever, yeah. however you're having those discussions? Well, the, the one-day, the two-day or the, you know, the right place at the right time or same-day delivery, all these things that are about speed to, to market and meeting the needs of the, of the mm. consumer, I think, is definitely something that, that uh, we talk to uh, to many retailers about. I think the struggle that many are having in, in Canada, I find, is that uh, how do they make that decision? Because mm. you know, to, to have speed to market comes with uh, supply chain decisions that uh, present often a lot of cost. Mm. So you know, if you want to be in every market and provide same day or next day, you know, do you need to have multiple DCs across the country? Do you need to replicate inventories across the country? So they're grappling with, do I do it, spend the money, mm-hmm. and does it turn into a, an uptick in sales? or is in some cases even necessary just to keep the sales they've got. Mm. Uh, so we're hearing a lot of conversation, and, and companies I see actually making decisions both ways. Some are actually expanding, and I've seen you know some of the bigger players even even surprisingly go the other way. Mm. Contracting, so yeah. they're really contracting, so to speak. Trying to manage the costs of logistics <laughs> right. versus maybe seeing the need to, to really you know expedite to, to same-day delivery. So that's a, big, that's a big element. I guess that pendulum can kind of swing back and forth, right? Well, and it, it applies to many different areas, but we're going to do it ourselves or mm-hmm. we're going to outsource it, and there's yeah. pros and cons to each. But I, you know, I think in this business where it's pretty fast-moving, and really I want to talk about, you've, you've, when we've talked before, we've talked, about how this business is as much about people and real estate as it is anything else. So first of all, how many how many facilities or warehouses do you have across the country? How what kind of scope? Do you have a national scope? Yeah, or? we're we're national coast to coast, so yeah. BC all the way out to the Maritimes. Uh, we've got thirty plus, uh, we'll call them full scale warehouses, mm. as well as uh, a complete uh, forward stocking network that's another thirty five plus locations across mm. the country. So I would say you know we've got the the, the country covered. Co- country's well. covered, right? Yeah, right and, and we're in every you know pretty much every major city in the country at this point. But what does it take to run those? I mean, again, back to this people yeah. business. Yeah. Um, I hear from retailers from all different facets getting, you know, the war for talent's real, right? Yeah. It's, it's tough to get people in, in and hire them and keep them, right? Yeah, I think that, you know, the two biggest challenges we're facing in our industry today are our space and people. And, and mm-hmm. on the space front, um, the decision process today is so much different than it used to be. Um, used to be, you know, either retailers made decisions or we made decisions on, on a need, and then we would go to market and we would work with real estate and they would give us a list of 10 or 15 building options. Which ones would, would you like? Yeah, which ones <laughs> you like? And we like that one and then we could go... Uh, Can I have them gray, please? Yeah, <laughs> negotiate an aggressive deal with the landlord. Well, those days are gone. Mm. Um, and today it's forcing people to make decisions even in advance decisions on buildings even in advance of making the decisions in their business Mm. which is creating obviously a lot more risk and even when you're ready to make those decisions you know you're often choosing between one or two buildings and they're not the buildings in the location you want they're not the setup you want 
uh, and you're ha- they're not the size you want. Uh, so you're having to make those those decisions and make the best of, of the situation, mm-hmm. and then work with landlords who you know there's no such thing as a, a three-year lease anymore. It's you know it's it's five if you're lucky, likely right. ten they're pushing for. So yeah. so that's really affected uh, decisions mm-hmm. on the labor front. Um, you know, again, labor is so difficult to get in, in the 3PL space. Um, you know, finding top talent is, is everybody's challenge. Uh, we're all f- trying to find different ways to make it happen, whether it's you know driving a culture in our business or it's uh, looking at compensation or kind of uh, you know the projects and the neatness of the work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you're yeah. not even talking here. I mean, you're talking two dimensions. One, you're talking about the engineering and the tech to run it, but mm-hmm. you're also talking about the people who work in those warehouses, yeah. right? The hourly workforce is tough. And, and again, go, even going back to the buildings, the buildings that are becoming available now are often in places where the, the hourly people aren't. Mm. So what we're seeing to the extreme is people locating warehouses which aren't ideal and then actually shuttling people mm. from other parts of either the city or even in other cities into their city to do the work. I, mm. I, I know of several... Uh, groups that are, you know, uh, in Milton that are shuttling people from Mississauga into work. Wow. Uh, so that's part of the challenge. And if, if you just you follow the news, I mean, Amazon, for the first time that I've ever seen, just this week I'm hearing advertisements where there's a $1,500 signing bonus saw, for hourly it. employees. Yeah. I've never, never seen that in, in my career. So yeah. that's kind of how far it's gone to try and get people in the building to do the work. So, and they're offering a top wage of like 19 and right. change, which exactly. is in Ontario, for those listeners, Ontario minimum wage is 14. Right. So they're they're well above minimum wage at, at some point. So as a 3PL, I mean, it's obviously forcing us to look at a couple things to try mm-hmm. and mitigate those. So when it comes to space, I mean, the, the application of new storage mediums, uh, mezzanines, uh, um, different means to, to, uh, to create greater density and storage are things that are really being mm-hmm. looked at aggressively to try and keep footprint down because the cost of space has gone up so, so much. So go up, not out, not basically. Up, not out. Um, I, saw, I saw a, a video and it was a warehouse, I think, in California that was actually three levels, not mm-hmm. so interesting, but each level was a different warehouse. And the, and the trailer, truck trailers could actually go to each level. Yeah. It, was, it was amazing. I just thought well, that would be you know, a little bit of mind-blowing for me because it just really highlights what you're saying, right? That yeah, the building was built by, I think, Prologis, and, and, and they've got a strategy to look at more of these mm. buildings. And again, it's about if you're trying to get uh, closer to the customer, which that building is. Closer to the employees. Closer to the employees is that you have mm. limited uh, footprint. So mm. go up and, and get more use out of the space. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, I wouldn't say it's a huge trend yet, but there's sure. a lot of talk about doing more of that. Well, it certainly highlights what you're talking about, which is it's tough to get space, tough to get space where you need it so you can get products to the customers and the people right. to, to pack those boxes. And when you, when you think about the, the three things that, you know, when you get into a discussion around in-source, outsource, speed-to-market, investment, ownership, uh, scope, what are the kind of things that pop out at you, the three things that you, you, you would advise re- retailers to think about? If well, you could distill it all down, there's like a yeah. million things to think about, but in any big decision, you can really, I like to kind of... Well, batch it all together into three things. You right. need to think about these three things to help guide your decision making. What, what would that be in your world? Yeah, I think I would start. I mean, maybe it sounds obvious, but you got to start with the customer, mm. right? What is the what is the the retailer's customer looking for? Um, is same day delivery important? Is flexibility important? So I think you need to understand that because. It does no good to just build some neat supply chain solution that right. isn't ultimately helping you uh, improve your customer experience. So mm. I think that would be uh, the first. I think you know flexibility and scalability uh, is so important. I mean, obviously, we live in a world that's changing faster than ever before, and retail is yeah. no different. Uh, so what you think about needing today, six months from now, 
um, you you know you can't just build that because you need to also think about what you know mm. two and three years out was going to look like. Um, today we're investing capital in in, in buildings and in, in automation, uh, so you need to be able to build these things so that they are flexible and adaptable to the changing you know demands of of, of the retailer, which mm. you know change on a dime nowadays. Sure, sure. Um, and then I think the other piece, and, and we touched on it earlier, was that whole insourcing outsourcing uh, decision. Is that mm. you know with the complexities of supply chain moving forward, are you as a retailer really in a position to to perform? And deal with those complexities in the supply chain, or are you better to give it to somebody who does that, you know, for, for a living? Yeah, classic decision that you know the, the third final is kind of the last one is like a classic decision on many elements, mm-hmm. but it seems in your space it's getting more complicated faster, right? I mean, Absolutely. you get double-digit growth in e-commerce, for example. Yeah, I was reading a great article in the New York Times last week that. Manhattan was got something like 1.2 million deliveries a day. Mm-hmm. Like you know, the streets are clogging. Yep, uh, which makes your transportation partners, you know, lives difficult and makes it makes you think about, you know, different decisions about where you're going to locate and approach and do all that stuff. Well, it's right? even though, Sam, I mean, we, we do some transportation, but that final mile is often something that we partner with, but it's, you know, how do we work with those partners? Because it's up to you to get the order out of the warehouse. Out of the warehouse right? and, and to those partners. And, and we can't and, forget that, right? We talk, it's funny because when everybody talks same day, next day, two day, they're thinking the last mile. Yep. But before the last mile happens, an yep. order's got to be you know, flighted weight and pulled out of a warehouse and yeah. picked and packed and get well, ready to ship, right? A, a typical SLA, I mean, for, for a B2C account is to say that, you know, we're going to get an order, you know, by noon and sometimes even later and get it out the same day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's really important that, you know, we're already con- tightly constrained to the sure. time we have to get it out. And then when you start to roll in and say, well, some of those orders need to go for a night delivery and some need to go for same wave day. To wave there, west, wave east. Yeah, there's a need to, to coordinate more than just picking and packing and shipping a box. So that's, again, where the complexities start to come into the equation. You provide me another nice segue there because I want to talk about peak. So whether, you know, right now we're going to be listening to this in and around uh, Black Friday, which is a mm. tremendous peak. But we're starting to see these, we're starting to see that, you know, retail just being very peaky in general, whether mm. it's this or other kind of events. What's your advice around how to think about or conceptualize peak, um, as we would call it? You know, how do you get ready? Obviously, if it's November, it's probably too late. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but let's talk about you know, let's talk about twenty twenty as retailers right. kind of will survive, thrive, or whatever they do this year. How how should they be thinking about getting ready for next year, which inevitably will be peakier yeah. and bigger? Yeah. Um, so this isn't a you know one time issue. Yeah, no, I think, you know, and this is where, you know, I go back to, you know, I mentioned Amazon earlier, some of the experiences early on with a customer like mm-hmm. that, a retailer like that, really taught us some great lessons. And, um, you know, when it comes to peak back then, you know, first thing, it may sound obvious, but plan early. Uh, and back then it was, that, that meant start, you know, kind of in February, right? right? And, and, and that's not joking, that's, that's really when we would start. You would stand, or start with understanding what you were going to build to. Uh, you would also plan early any of the capital investments or changes you need to make to your facility mm. to be ready. Get that done early uh, was also important. Um, always having you know contingency plans because you know one thing that is certain is that your forecast today isn't going to likely be what you actually yeah. experience. Yeah. So how do you deal with uh, those unexpected events, those even further spikes in volumes uh, on top of things? Um, we think it's really important as you get closer to you know we'll say Black Friday is that you you look to do stress tests. Um, mm. So test what you think you've built and learn before it happens where you've got time to, to course correct before you get the real big uh, mm. uh, tsunami of volume. Um, training, I mean, one thing about peak is you know you're bringing on a ton of new people. 
And with that onboarding, unless you spend the time to effectively train them so that they're going to perform well, be productive, and do the right thing, you know, you're just not going to achieve right. y- your goals. Um, I, love, I love that preparation idea that, you know, like run a couple of shifts as, with as many orders as you can possibly Yeah. Well, handle, what we right? do is, is we often, with, our, with our, our bigger retailers, is we'll actually halt shipping for a day. So the way we'll build, uh, the build way we'll replicate, we'll build a backlog on purpose, mm. usually over a weekend, and then set it up so that now we've got to catch up or, or get to the volume that we're projecting to do, you know, closer to peak. So that's right. that's one way oh, to that's, do that. That's a neat way to do it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, at the end of the day, you know, often it's about the details. Um, you know, a, a plan at a high level is great. I, I, the more you think about the details and work through the details before it happens, I think mm. the, the more prepared you're going to be. Like many other things. Yeah. And thinking ahead, putting your forecasting hat on, I mean, you've tremendous experience in this space, but what do you... To the degree you could see what's around the corner, mm-hmm. I can't think of anyone better positioned to think of that in your space. Like, what do you what do you see happening? I, you know, for example, I see more automation than less, but mm-hmm. at the same time, uh, automation comes at a, at a cost, and that automation, you know, that stuff gets old pretty quick. It, it's not the answer to everything, mm-hmm. but if, if you if you if we were having this discussion in a couple of years, what would what do you think would be different? Well, I, I definitely one thing I see is that uh, there's a renewed energy around the environment. Um, and I think that, um, you know, 10 plus years ago, environment was the big thing and everybody talked about it. Even when we did uh, you know, RFPs, it was always asked what your programs were. And I think mm. it kind of died because everything around it cost money and people weren't prepared to spend. I think today there's a new energy around how we truly mm. do things that, that, that respect the environment. Um, and, you know, in, in the warehousing environment, that comes from things like, you know, simple things like the lighting we have. Uh, but now, you know, looking more at things relamping like the warehouse, relamping the warehouse. Stuff, yeah. um, but now packaging, for example, is mm-hmm. a big thing. Um, anybody who's received a package in, you know, from an online shop is, is almost typically, is almost certainly have seen a situation where you open the box, you look inside and you go, I mean, they, had this, they shipped me this huge box <laughs> yeah. for that little piece. Yeah. But when you think about the environmental impact of the excess corrugate, mm-hmm. the dunnage that's inside, and even further, that big package takes space on a truck that's sure. delivering to you the carbon footprint that it's creating. So um, right now for us, there's a lot of uh, energy and focus around what mm. can be done with packaging to help, uh, you know, not just reduce costs, of course, but to look at, you know, the environmental positive impact that it creates. Well, and it's kind of a net, it's a cumulative effect, right? So one box may not be too bad, but if you're getting five or six or eight, mm-hmm. it really starts to visually kind of add up. And, and in your world, uh, I guess coming up with those solutions is, is uh, going to be important. For Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so uh, how do people get in touch with you? Want to learn more about SCI? Want to explore uh, what you do? What's well, the best way to get in touch? I think the easiest way to get a hold of me is LinkedIn. Um, okay. You know, I'm on LinkedIn, so if uh, anybody wants to reach out, I'd uh, be happy to hear from you. And, uh, of course, uh, if you go to SCI.ca, you can go to our website, and there's ways to, uh, to communicate with us through there, and we'd be happy to uh, follow up on any questions you might have. Well, great. Well, thanks for spending time on The Voice of Retail. Yep. Uh, I wish uh, you and all your team across the country good luck as we approach Black Friday. Yep. It's fun days for everyone. It's exciting and times, <laughs> and uh, we're ramping up, and we're getting ready. So looking forward to it. Well, excellent. Uh, thanks again for sitting down. All right. Thanks, Michael. You know, the next panel, we got a really solid panel to talk about what a lot of us think about this time of year, which is dealing with peak. Michael LeBlanc has been in retail for uh, quite a while and has a really stellar sort of background with brands you'd all know between the Shopping Channel, Pandora, Hudson's Bay, Black & Decker, and was very successful in each one of those. And 
today, runs his own company, ML LeBlanc and Company. And, uh, and from a celebrity standpoint, all joking aside, Michael has very quickly created what is now sort of Canada's number one podcast in regards to retail, which is the voice of retail. So that alone is an accomplishment that I think we should give him a couple, a couple accolades for. Thank you, thank you. So uh, thank you. W- with that, I'll get Michael to come up and uh, I'll let you take the lead, introduce the panel that you've pulled together and, and talk a little more about how, how we're going to handle Peak. All right, thanks, Dave. Let's have a hand for our MC, Dave. Nice job. Uh, so when Dave and I were chitting and chatting about what we are going to do uh, this year, not my first uh, time, uh, fortunately, being at an SCI summit, we said, why don't we do something different? What's on the minds of retailers today? And one of the things that is on the mind is peaks and Black Friday, so we thought it kind of aligned well. So let's, we thought, put a panel together of, of people who would lend insight to that. So let me welcome them up uh, today. So uh, first joining me, Stephanie Barrington from Well.ca. Stephanie, come on up. Uh, Franco from Designer Shoes, Designer Brands. I'm still not used to saying Designer Brands. Town Shoes, now Designer Brands, DSW. <laughs> and Jerry Croatia. <laughs> Jerry Croatia. <laughs> <Brian. laughs> um, Franco, uh, why don't we just get started with you? Tell us a little bit about your personal and professional journey, what you do today, and who you do that with. A little bit of background. The, the brand names have changed a bit, so make sure we're all up to date on that. Sure. I've been in uh, digital and e-commerce for 20 plus years. When I started in my journey in the space, I was teaching people how to surf the internet, how to use AltaVista. Uh, it was that long ago. And uh, from there, I went on to um, manage the Royal Bank's website. Um, I've been with, I was at TELUS where I did uh, digital, social, and, um, uh, and e-commerce there. Um, really cut my teeth in e-commerce with uh, Dell Computers Canada. And I am now with Designer Brands, formerly um, Townshoes, managing the e-commerce uh, fulfillment and customer service group there. So Designer Brands, as you may or may not know, owns uh, DSW in Canada, well, DSW worldwide, but I manage the Canadian uh, website and e-commerce business, um, the shoe company, and the shoe warehouse. Very good. Very good. Stephanie. All right. I started my career in magazine marketing, um, where... What I did was all about direct marketing. Uh, So I worked for most of the major Canadian uh, magazine publishers, so Toronto Life Magazine and all the Rogers titles. Um, And then I had a a mentor who moved to Lava Life, and she said, you know, this direct mail thing is very similar to the online activities of um, measure, measuring your marketing um, ROI. So why don't you come over? And um, I haven't looked back since. So I went to Lava Life, and then I was at PayPal. And now I've been at Well.ca for probably five and a half years now. Great. Tell us a little bit about Well.ca. Uh, that's a digital native startup. And, and tell us a little bit about uh, Well as it exists today. Yeah, so Well.ca sells health, beauty, and baby products. Um, I guess when I started, it was kind of like a startup. We moved very quickly. We had no money, and so we had to make our budgets really um, go far. Um, And we grew really fast um, over the last little while. And I guess at the end of 2017, we were purchased by McKesson. 
which is the, which I've understood is the sixth largest company in North America, so that's kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. um, and we bring digital e-commerce experience to them, and they bring um, pharmacy and investment to us. So it's a good, it's a good partnership. It's a good trade-off. You, you kind is. of co-mingling of uh, great things. Yeah. Uh, Jerry, talk about uh, your background. Hello everyone, uh, my name is uh, Jerry Lam, and uh, I'm the Director of uh, Strategic Accounts and Product Development with SCI. Uh, SCI, who's your host here today, uh, they are a Canadian leading e-commerce retail omni-channel uh, 3PL. Uh, they deal with large enterprise clients and small to mid-range uh, clients in the same space as well. Uh, I've been in, the, in this marketplace, the supply chain, for 20 plus years. Uh, I have my Q4 and Peaks cards. And I'm starting to get these uh, Black Friday white hairs. Every, you know, and it's getting more and more every year. So my, my wife says it's not, it's not for the kids, it's me. So uh, it probably is true. Um, and really, my role in the organization is to bring services and product to our partners so that they can uh, to help them with uh, enhancing their product and advancing their product and, and, uh, and their services uh, to the end user. So uh, thank you for, uh, for having the, me on. No, thanks for joining us. It's a great panel because we see all kinds of different perspectives. So let's just jump right into, into talking about these peaks. And, and the first peak we should talk about is, is what is relatively new holiday in Canada, Black Friday, 10 years ago. Didn't exist, certainly not in the way it did before Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Um, so Franco, Stephanie, talk about uh, is that the peak for you? Is that a peak uh, for your business? And, and if so, has it changed at all over the... It's short lifetime, but is it, it? Do you find it evolving over uh, or year to year? Yeah, definitely. So it's definitely a peak for us. Um, fall winter is our big time of year. Um, we have two seasons. So spring spring summer we're selling sandals um, as our main commodity, and now boots as our main commodity. So you can imagine the back half of the year is a bigger part of the year just from a AOV perspective. I can sell one boot for the same margin that I can sell two sandals for, right? Mm. Uh, to compound that, um, Black Friday, Cyber Monday has been become such a big part of our business, both bricks and online, that um, we're, we're planning for it well in advance. And Stephanie, when I was thinking about Well.ca, I wasn't sure if that was a peak for you, but, but uh, I think it is for you. Like, it's a big day for you, right? Yeah, so I would say the same thing. The week leading into Black Friday um, is huge for us, and I would say every year those peaks get more pronounced. Yeah, and it's not just delivery, right? I mean, the you know, as per our host, it's actually getting the product out of the warehouse is, is a yeah. big enough challenge, right? I think that we need some robots, definitely. We have a hard time hiring for this peak period. Um, right now, we're trying to you know get all those people in line for our warehouse, and we just can't hire them. It's it's a real problem. Are, are we finding the evolution of the holiday? You know, it was Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Cyber Monday at one point was bigger than Black Friday, at least if you were an online retailer, certainly a pure place. That's still the case. It really becomes a week and a half to two week event when you when you think about it. Most marketers are in market on the Friday before. Uh, we'd be calling that Gray Friday, right up until Cyber Week, if you will, trying to take advantage of that demand as much as possible. The shift for e-commerce, um, you know, recent two, three years ago was um, Cyber was the biggest, bigger day and the bigger week, and that sh definitely shifted to um, Black Friday instead of. Right, so the, of, of those, day. you know, that week and a half, but even in the weekend, the Friday's bigger than the Monday, and that's, that's relatively new. 
Yeah, that's within the last well, two years for us, and last year continued. Right. Same for same for you, Stephanie? Yeah, so um, I guess when I started at Well.ca over five years ago, Boxing Day was big for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was bigger than Black Friday, but now Black Friday, yeah, and now Black Friday is by far, far bigger than any other event that we have. Um, Cyber Monday is is probably number two or three in terms of sales for us. So at, at Retail Council of Canada, we did some research last year. It was the first time we're going to repeat it this year, where we asked consumers as opposed to retailers uh, when they thought of the holidays, which was the bigger event. And we had been seeing and retailers had been telling us that that, that was shifting from Boxing Day to Black Friday. And last year we saw that tipping point. And no, make no mistake, though, Boxing Day was, I think the numbers were 38% of Canadians would shop on Boxing Day, but 41% on the Black Friday weekend. And that's the first time we saw that turn. But, you know, the lesson of that is Boxing Day for most is still a huge event. And in fact, for some commodities, it's bigger, right? Your big ticket really puts a focus on on, um, on the Boxing Day. Um, Jerry, you've got a perspective that, that it's kind of pan-business. Um, so what changes have you seen from a, from a helping businesses? Execute. Do you see more concentration? Do you see these kind of impacts and feel them in your business? The vendors and the customers we have all have different needs. Uh, fast fashion is very, very selective, very short period of get it to market, get out quick, and be done with it, and the next wave is going to come right behind it. So uh, I look at it as the, the three-hump camel, right? So uh, the first hump is all this planning that has to happen in the distribution center, all the talent acquisition, all the resource acquisitions, all the equipment and systems and space that, that needs to be prepped well ahead of time, especially in these short windows before peak, uh, to get you ready for, the, for, 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 for peak. So that's your first hump. Your second hump is the inbound volume that comes in. Uh, you actually get this huge surge of inbound, especially on these uh, fast retailing to market clients. It's coming in, you got a month or six weeks to get that inventory into the building, trying to make it fit in the space uh, that you have before the outbound hits. So I think what we've, what we've really seen is the shift in terms of how much planning you and how much time you have between planning inbound and outbound. It's actually truncated and it's gotten pretty tight. And frankly, in your model, you're shipping from store, I believe, at this point. Oh, correct. So that, that last point that Jerry mentioned is really must be pretty meaningful. How do you get to, to get ready for peak? How do you get all that inventory into the store without making the stores just one big wall of, of uh, boxes, right? Is that a, how do you manage that challenge? So we, luckily we have you know, 200 plus retail locations across the country and we use that as a distribution network for our, for our e-commerce business. Um, one, of the, one of the things that we've done uh, over the last uh, several years is we've built um, uh, mini hubs within those stores. So larger footprint stores that may not, that, that we've in the past have to take, haven't, we've pulled racks out of to make it look full We've been able to turn those into a hub, and they have a substantial back room that we can then um, put those racks back in and can continue to uh, load it with product. So I've heard we that have the where room strategy. Yeah. yeah. So we've got hubs like that throughout the country, country so that helps considerably. And Stephanie, let's let's unpack um, preparation for such a peak uh, within your organization because it, it must be galvanizing pretty much every department to get ready for such a, a peaky event. I mean, I remember just speaking about labor when I was at the shopping channel. We didn't have that same kind of peak when I was there, kind of before Black Friday, but we had certain guests that would just drive volume. You know, ordinarily, let's say we sell a couple 
3,000 items on a day, but one guest would sell 22,000 items on a day. And it would be all so interesting, and in the, in the, the planning for those big days would go on uh, for, for weeks and months ahead of time. But from a different function within your organization, how do you, how do you approach planning for the, for, for the people? Yeah, I think something we've learned over the years is that you need to have all the key players planning for Black Friday together um, because each department is so dependent on the other. Um, and that's something that we've come to learn over time. Um, so we are getting a lot better at it. I know that our buyers are, are cutting POs early. Um, our warehouse team is um, making sure we have the space in the warehouse to... Um, warehouse all of the products for Black Friday. Um, our HR team is critical in this in terms of hiring people, um, marketing, customer care. We're all kind of aligned and communicating, and we've documented all of the issues that have happened to, in the past. Things like, you know, we've had instances where we launch and our website goes down, so we know now that we need to add more capacity with our servers and things like that. So I think it's more about having this team of people who are talking about it early and getting organized. Um, and that's sort of before. And then during, I think something we learned that's super important is keeping the team motivated and on task. It's sort of like the warehouse piece after, um, after um, for the picking and packing, you got to keep that momentum going because I think it bec becomes overwhelming for, for the team sort of post-purchase, so those are just some of the things that we've learned. Jerry, what advice would you have for those, um, you know, in the warehouse, you've got a staff where we've already talked about earlier in the day how difficulty just staffing is on a day-to-day -day basis, but, you know, how do you, how do you approach building, like, do you, you know, for some, uh, for some retailers, would you pre-pack certain items, kind of make a bet that a certain configuration is going to be popular just by the law of big math, and, and what kind of prep work goes in to uh, getting ahead of the game in terms of uh, what you do in the warehouse? So I think there's a, there's a lot of energy that goes into planning. Uh, I think that to we execute the third hump on the camel, if you fail on the first hump and the second hump, the third hump, it's, it's, it's really it's chaos. Yeah. right? So the energy is really put into the front end uh, during the planning stages uh, to ensure that, um, that you can get the most out of it. So some of our customers will do a bit of a drawdown where they bleed age inventory uh, on the front end so that there's more capacity available to them for the inventory that's about to come in in, in a hurry. And then the second piece is, of course, uh, you know, there's a lot of synchronization with all the other departments, the allocation piece with the, the, the planners and then the sales folks to see what's actually going to be on pro and what's going to be going out so that you can stage those most effectively, some of them you'll pre-build. Some of us you're going to stage in, in uh, large cube uh, pallet locations. You can draw from it quickly. So you maximize your opportunity uh, when this big tsunami hits uh, come out down. So I guess that, that pre-staging is probably pretty interesting, right? So there yeah. be a, let's say it's an item featured on a, on a flyer for one of your clients. You know you're going to sell a lot of those. Yeah. They probably also know that people are going to pick another item to go with it, and you know some percentage of that are going to be pure. Would you actually pack and prep and get ready for labeling? Would you go that far down the process for? I, I, I think for I think with some with some uh, some product you have to because you know it's going to go. Uh, but what's really important is in this whole uh, flow of inventory is is this you have to have full control of it because what's going out it, it's so critical during these Black Friday peaks that you can't make an error. You can't ship it out early, and you got to ship the right things. 
right? So where you put it and how you control that inventory and release time of that inventory for the proper promos. They may have promos on Friday for Black Friday, the second one on Saturday, the next one on Sunday. So it's almost going to be staged in sequence so you can roll through that inventory and get the right connections to go up properly. And you'd probably be waving from west to east or wherever, depending on where else is and the demand. Is. Yeah, I think, I think during, during peak, a lot, a lot of clients do understand that Canadians will wait for free shipping and they understand Black Friday. They will wait uh, as long as they get the product. They don't, as long as you ship the proper product. So the quality aspects and the ability to ship accurately, it, it's absolutely critical for, for our business. Well, that's a good segue to the, the next kind of question. In 2019, Black Friday, again, is different because it's a full week later, right? So last year was 23rd, this year is the 29th. So A, it leaves the entire month of November kind of in that what's going to happen. I, I've, I've called it Red November. The risk is everything just starts going on deal really early. Um, and then the second thing, it, it compresses the time between, you know, what is the inevitable kind of trough after Black Friday weekend and you've got six less days before the 25th. So you've got kind of two interesting phenomena going on at the same time. Franco, what are you, how are you guys thinking about that? Are you, are, you, are you getting ready to kind of react to the marketplace if, if the marketplace goes too early? Are you concerned that, you know, people are going to hold off and hold off and hold off and, and then, you know, people are going to just start jumping because, the, you know, it's, the anxiety will be big enough that we think it's going to happen. We've planned everything, but... It's the 28th of November, and uh, it's pretty late in the holiday season. So there's a couple of things we've been doing. So one, um, you know, we have our regular markdown cadence for for the product that that's 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 in market right now. That, that product has to be out of stores by by the time spring rolls around. So um, what we've done is we've coordinated our um, markdown cadence to be early in November for uh, taking markdowns or going deeper with markdowns, so that we can uh, the so that we can keep the momentum going throughout November and give us a little bit of push from a, from a, a revenue perspective before the Black Friday piece comes in. It also, you know, to, to, to Jerry's point, helps us get rid of some of that product before uh, Black Friday and clouds the, the, the product offering. My bigger concern is probably more the after. It really condenses that that period of time after Cyber Monday, because we've got, we usually do something on Green Monday, which is, has, has been proven fairly successful, which is like the next week now, right. and then, um, and then and we, and then obviously the, uh, the color coded weeks. That's that right. now. <laughs> it's not just the retail count, four five four calendar anymore. Now we're color right. coding. Exactly, and then the other piece is the uh, last ship day before Christmas. Right. It really condenses that, and that's a big push for us as well, is making sure that we have that date. Um, on the site, and that's and getting getting product out before then. And, and Stephanie, to your customers, uh, lots of giftable items, lots yeah. of kits, no doubt, lots of of work. Are, how are you thinking about 2019 versus 2018? Are you thinking about it any differently? Yeah, we are looking to move um, some of our promotions up. So we're going to start early. It sounds like everyone else is going to do the same thing this year. Um, we're also looking at how we're spending our marketing budget. We're going to spend more money earlier as opposed to during Black Friday because we just think if we can spread out that demand in any way, um, it's going to help us in the long run. That's, that's a really interesting point because at some point you just can't spend your advertising dollars in such a compressed period, right? There's not the yeah. inventory to You almost don't to have to. You mm. almost don't have to. You'd rather, I'd rather get a customer early who's probably going to be a better customer 
um, than a customer, like a new customer during Black Friday. And that's really what we spend our budgets on is to really attract the new customer mm. um, that will stay with us um, as opposed to the new customer at Black Friday who's looking for a deal and probably won't shop with us again. Um, other things we're doing, we're just making sure our communication plan around delivery is like crystal clear. We, we need to make sure the customer knows what to expect um, without scaring them away from actually shopping with us. And well, that's that, that's very, the art and science, really. Yeah, and, and, yeah that's the tough part. Um, you know, I want to talk about one other peak briefly. Uh, Amazon's come up a number of times, as, as it should. Um, now, they've created their own holiday in the summer. And there's two schools of thought around that, from a supporting that from a retail perspective. Um, I'm more of a school of thought to let them have the day and don't go head-to-head -head with them because then it validates the day if you're a competing retailer. We used to think that about Black Friday, though. So, um, you know, any, any thoughts on, uh, I mean, July, in, in, uh, it's interesting because July numbers just came out from Stats Canada. Retail was up, uh, core retail was up 3.3%. Uh, interesting, I don't even think Amazon's in that number because when you look at Stats Canada numbers, for core retail, um, Amazon is in not in that number. Amazon is not in the e-commerce number. Amazon and Wayfair are considered warehouses. They're not considered retailers. So they're actually not in the e-commerce numbers. Uh, so they're not. They, they're in the economic numbers, but they're not actually in the retail numbers. So it's, you know, can one retailer have that uh, much effect? And how do, how are you both thinking about what to do about Prime Day? You ignore it and let them have their day, or do you or do you jump in and feel the competitive pressure? So two, three years ago, the same mindset as you. You ignore it and let them have their day. Um, you're not going to compete necessarily with them. There's two things that have happened that, that changed my mind, though. So one, all of our competitors and other retailers are you know, doing Black Friday, or Black Friday in July or whatever they've labeled it, um, Canadian Tires, Red, Red Friday, sure. whatever you want to call it, yeah. other retailers are doing it. So you've, I used to do Christmas in July in the 25th. Christmas in July, <laughs> yeah. having fun with yeah. So the other... So there's that piece of it. The other pieces that I noticed when I when we kind of ignored it was traffic on that day and sales on that day were brisk yeah. because what people do is they go to Amazon, they look at the product, and then they compare they compare shop. So if I'm getting traffic anyway, then why not put something in front of them that will help convert that sale? Interesting. Okay. And um, last bit of questions, and this gets to a not dissimilar question about Black Friday philosophically. So I want to get your opinion, each of you. Two narratives about Black Friday. Narrative one, I wish it never existed. All it's done is take a bunch of sales, push it earlier in the year, drive markdowns faster. We're not selling any more. We're just selling it earlier, and we're selling stuff that we used to sell at full price in November cheaper. Narrative two is, uh, what a great way to kick off the holiday season. There was it in Canada 10 years ago, this point to galvanize everyone and get them shopping um, the way it did. I remember that was my point of view. You know, 20 years ago, we were pining, boy, look at those lucky American retailers. They've got this day where everybody starts thinking about shopping. And we were like, oh my God, I hope the leaves start falling and it snows in Toronto or else nobody's going to think of shopping. So which side, uh, that's, that's kind of the, you know, toothpaste out of the two. It's a philosophical argument at this point. But which, which side of the, that narrative do each of you fall on? What do you think? It, it, it might be one of those things where you just say yes. <laughs> <laughs> so has, has it moved sales out of uh, Boxing Week and shifted it earlier? Yes. Boxing Week is still a profitable business for me, though, so I don't mind that. Has it moved product out of more profitable weeks into 
into a Black Friday. Yes, however, the volume that it drives outweighs mm. the, the losses that I'm making in those other weeks. The truth is, I think what it's doing is it's driving that um, um, gut purchase, that, in, that, that gut purchase, that second purchase that I wouldn't normally get. They're going to buy their boots for, because it's snowing. Regardless, right. however, they might also buy uh, a second or third item that they wouldn't have purchased um, on that day. So that's the it's a giftable holiday. It's a giftable, unlike Boxing Day, which is probably a little more self-purchase. Yeah. So, yeah, fish for the fisher. Absolutely. The third piece it does is it helps me move my inventory earlier. So I'm not waiting to, till you know, till Boxing Week to sure. say how much inventory do I have left. I need yeah. to. It helps me move that inventory out and manage my inventory cleaner at the end of the season. So you sleep a little sounder right. Right over the uh, Christmas holidays. Yeah. Stephanie, are you sleeping soundly when you think about Black Friday, or would, would, how are you? No, but I, I think I appreciate no, the... No, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> I think I appreciate, though, the excitement that Black Friday draws. I don't think anything else can draw so many consumers online at the same time, and I think we all benefit from that. Um, would I like it to be, you know, the peaks, as I was saying, are just so... Like, they become more pronounced every single year, and it becomes harder and harder to manage. So I, I you know, maybe if it, that sort of was more predictable, I think it would help, but um, I don't think we'd get those sales any other way. Jerry, you're kind of the net recipient of all this. You're the, you're the tip of the spear, so to yeah. speak. You, you know, retailers and brands turn to you to make it happen. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, 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 uh, 10 years ago, I, I think our organization would say we hated it, right, because it was just chaos. Everybody had white hair. It wasn't just me. And, uh, but I think we've gotten better. I think we've learned every year to be better, to be more efficient, to be more effective, and to be a little more uh, surgical in terms of planning for Black Friday. So I think uh, the difference from 10 years ago to now is, is just I think that now – uh, we're getting good at it, and we kind of like it because it's stressful, absolutely. But but it also it's it's, it's exciting. It, it just it's creates, kind of in your it creates a, right? yeah, it creates a synergy a in, in the warehouse, right? Brings it, it it gives the ability to get good talent, to gives the ability to to separate ourselves from all the three PLs because we can handle it. Mm. We can make it feel okay. So uh, you know, it's, it's it's all timing. Well, listen. Thank you all uh, for joining me. It's a great discussion. I uh, wish you all. A fantastic uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday holiday season. Remember, it's a it's a marathon, not a race, as we get ready for holidays. So, uh, thank you all so much for being on the panel. Thank you. Thanks, Michael, and thanks, you guys. That was that was really good. Well, that's a wrap on this special supply chain planning for peak e-commerce edition of the Voice of Retail. Thanks to Chris, Franco, Stephanie, and Jared for being my guests on this special edition. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe on Apple iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. Please rate and review and be sure and recommend to a friend or colleague in the retail industry. I'm Michael LeBlanc, founder and president of Emmy LeBlanc Company, Inc. You can learn more about me on www.emmyleblanc.co or, of course, on LinkedIn. Till next time, have a great week.